0: Today's guests on episode one of the Tone Country Cast with Tim Holland come to us from the hills of West Virginia. Australian fans first became aware of the Davison Brothers band late in 2017, with the release of their triumphant anthem "Po' Boys," which was an instant hit over here on country radio and, of course, CMC. In March of the following year, they visited Australia for the very first time to play at CMC Rocks Queensland to huge acclaim they were uh, incredibly popular and uh, as a result of that they were asked to come back here to be the international headliners for the recent groundwater country music festival on the gold coast So a special thanks to Forbes Street Studios here in Sydney who are recording this very first country cast for us today. Welcome, Chris and Donnie Davison.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. It's great to be back. And uh...
0: How has it been back in Australia for a second time? You've done your own headline shows this time around and of course the Groundwater Festival.
2: Just amazing. The, the people over here is, is what it's all about to us and... From a time we step out in these airports, you know, it's it's kinda crazy to us that being so far from home literally getting out of the airport, there's people knowing us by our first name taking pictures and just an amazing thing and the the just the everybody's so positive and you know it's just a good good thing and it's a good feeling
1: just very welcoming it's like uh it's like our our home away from home now australia uh, just it's always we're always excited to get back and uh, I don't know words can't really describe the feeling like the response and and the the way the australian fans and we consider them friends now like family but just how much they appreciate music just the the they sing so loud like it it's it's hard for me to hear myself sing on stage it's it's that intense and uh i
0: don't know the greatest feeling in the world i remember when you first came here and when we first met at the uh, cmc awards last year and uh you know you guys are very you know young and handsome still but you know you're you're not 18 <laughs> and and uh, here you were coming to the Gold Coast for the for the first time, um, and uh, Lee Kernighan, uh during the awards, uh, unprompted, started talking about your song Poe Boys," and I
1: could just see the joy on your faces. Yes, it was, uh, and, uh, we we didn't really know what to expect, and to be just a couple rows back, and Lee just brings up the Davison brothers sitting out there and their song mm-hmm. Poe Boys." He said i think i'm right he said i have wore out the speakers in my vehicle listening to poor boys of it so that was just an honor like to to have him i mean we we consider lee like the the greatest and and uh he just he took us under his wing and treated us like family that's such a crazy experience for me personally
2: because you know where we come from back home in rural west virginia we don't know a whole lot about australia or half the places in the u.s you know so we we kind of grew up in a off the beaten path up in the mountains and there's not a lot of phone signal up there or internet service but prior to coming to australia for the first time i'd got online and been researching country music and over here in australia i just kept going back to this guy you know this guy wearing a cowboy hat and shooting these awesome videos and i just you know i was real intrigued by this fellow and i kept watching videos going down the road and you know while we's coming out of shows on tour and, and buses and stuff i i just kept watching this guy on video in australia and i was like well this guy's really cool and all this never thought much about it and when we show up at the CMC awards show and walked the red carpet and we was with you and went to the pre-party and was back here having a couple of drinks with you hanging out and it was like this freaking figure comes walking through this party and I'm like, I looked at Don and I was like, that's that guy. I'm like <laughs> And like he had his entourage around him and then he disappeared and I was like, well, I'll probably never get to see him or meet him again and we end up in the awards show and we're sitting back stretched out in our seats and they call him up for that award and he spits our name out of his mouth i'm like is this for real like somebody make this shit up or something (laughs) it it was real i even asked i think you i said did you set this up or something he's like no this is uh legit stuff but nah then we got to hang with him afterwards and meet his wife and it was just a good experience and he he still messages us all the time and like we keep in touch and
0: oh i think he wants to tour with you one day yeah, yeah well, we yeah, definitely want to
2: tour with him and yeah, that's yeah. how things should be done you know it's just real people and organic stuff happening like that. that's what we're all about so you know let, let's talk about you know the history of the davison brothers yeah
0: you've been a band all your life really i mean you've grown up in a musical family.
2: That's all we know. We we are several generations of musicians or as far back as we can remember, we've always had instruments in our hands, and that's just how our whole family is. When you, you're like two or three years old, you're you've got some kind of instrument in your hand and singing. I did not personally get the singing gene. I think yeah. I'm the only
1: Davis in it. Don't sing, but but he can <laughs> sing. He just won't sing. He's got the singing voice. No, it, we were surrounded by that as as kids, um, and I think that goes on for a few generations back, like people ask me all the time when did you learn to play guitar when did you learn to sing?" I, I really can't tell you i can i look back through old pictures when we're home in west virginia at mom and dad's house and i mean literally the guitar was bigger than i was in a lot of those pictures like from the time we were big enough to move our fingers i think is when the guitar started dad i can remember four or five years old dad showing me some chords on the guitar but it was just always there and his parents were the same with him too so he He goes back to playing at that age too, and all that and it I don't know we've just always had that music in our in our family it was it was a it was a part of life growing up in our household and around the farm and people would come from all over when we were kids and play different instruments and sing and stay for a couple of days on the farm and uh, music has just always been there with us that that's also
2: how we uh we paid our bills you know as a family and fed the family and that's that was our source of income early as like grade school like before we was even teenagers we had to go out with our dad and make money you know during the week we'd do four or five shows a week and have to get in at 2 a.m. and be at school on a school bus at 7 a.m. so we, we've been doing this a long time and we've dedicated our whole life to it for sure
0: and is music something you can do in West Virginia? I mean, I know you know in Texas, for example, you can have a career in Texas and not really go anywhere else and make a decent living. Is is that sort of the same where you are?
2: It it kind of is and kind of not. We're uh, we're the exception. Our family, we're the only family in our state making a living playing music. And our dad does two hundred and fifty shows a year, and obviously we tour we're doing 200 plus, 225 dates a year. And we're on the road writing songs and taking meetings in Nashville and doing media and press all over the world now. So we're on the road 300 days a year. Then there's another generation below us, a family coming up that's also making a living playing music. But no, it's a really rural area. It's unlike Texas at all. There's no major cities in our state. And there's not a big population anywhere and there's really no music venues and we kind of had to create all of it ourselves. We we went into places early on and started first time ever charging to get in a door of a yeah. place and to this day we still play these places when we have time in our schedule and go back and you know support the locals that helped us get where we're at and no, it's a, it's a rough business. It, was, work, it huh? was really
1: neat. Like, Dad would take us, that we would go play music anywhere they would let us. My dad bring us boys, and, I mean, back, we were underage, too, in a lot of those places, but, like, Dad's friends would have a little pub down the street, or and really not even a stage in there. We would go in there and set. They'd slide the pool table in the corner or hmm. put stuff behind the bar, and... It'd be me and my brother and my dad, a three-piece, and sometimes we were lucky we would find a drummer or something, another kid or one of Dad's old buddies or something. But a lot of those places, they never had music unless Dad brought us and we would go in, but I can remember the first time like we were in high school and we started charging cover charge like $2 to get in these bases and all these folks in the hometown were like, we're not paying $2 to come in there and see that show. Like they'd never paid a cover charge before to see a band. So I guess we kind of created a lot of those, uh, the the little venues that we do have in West Virginia.
0: And I'm told you're actually now Putting a festival on
2: yourselves? Yes, it's our first annual Davison Brothers Wild and Wonderful Country Fest. That is uh, that is a very uh, crazy story. We we've had this idea for many many years. Of you know, there's so much more to the Davison Brothers band and family than what we can give folks on a three four minute track that you hear on the radio. You know, there's there's so much else that goes on that's part of what we do you know we live and breathe what we do and it's a lifestyle you know we just always had this dream of creating an event to where we could take all these people we've met in our travels going up and down the road and all these people in Nashville and all these artists we tour with and all the fans and kind of we're always we find ourselves wherever we're at we're showing our phones and showing pictures of our home and our culture and our heritage, you know, our trout streams and our mountains. And we've just always had this idea of bringing all this together and showcasing our Appalachian culture and where we come from in a a week-long event or a weekend event. And it finally come to life this year, you know, after many, many years of it just being a dream. And we've got amazing artists coming, you know, from Hank Williams Jr. to Old Dominion to Scotty McCreary to—
1: diamond rio diamond rio
2: a lot of these new acts bishop gun and you know uh just a lot of the up and coming acts and a lot of the people been around forever and but we're also showcasing things that happen happen where we're from you know we've got people coming from the fishing and hunting industry and we've got athletes coming in we've got you know guys that do blacksmith work and throw axes and make handmade products and it's just a little bit of everything. It's a touch of Appalachia and a touch of everything that surrounds us, and it's going to be an experience. It's going to be much more than a music festival. But we're we're excited to launch this thing and get the first year under our belt.
0: So I mean, how, how long has it taken to, to get that together? I'm guessing quite a long time. Uh, probably about
2: 15 years, I figured it out, since I've had Donnie and I put this idea together and... We've kind of, it's one of them things where we've wanted to do it. We've had many opportunities to do it and people offered to do it and it just didn't feel right with this person or we wanted to make sure it was done right and we've we've searched all over and watched and studied festivals and we found these awesome promoters that put on another festival in South Carolina in Myrtle Beach and uh, it's called the Carolina Country Fest and along with our management, Irv Woolsey and Alan Mitchell, they kind of stepped up and we partnered three ways with our Woolsey management and uh, the Carolina Country Folks Southern Entertainment and the Davison brothers to do a three-way partnership on this festival and it's coming to life so we're excited. Amazing, amazing. Well I'm sure it'll be an incredible
0: event and maybe we'll get there one day.
2: Have yes to, we'd love to have you.
0: Love to go there. Amazing experience. Hey Chris, uh Uh, Word on the street is that you can skin a squirrel (laughs) in in under 30 seconds. I knew that was going
1: to pop up.
2: Yeah, that is a uh, family tradition. That's been handed down to us for generations. Our grandfather, you know, where we come from, like I said, in rural West Virginia, we pretty much live off the land out there as much as possible as we can. How long does it take to
0: master that skill?
2: a lifetime and a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of cuts on your hands and a lot of a lot of accidents but now growing up our grandfather he always uh you know he believed in whatever you could get out of your garden and we'd put all that in the jars and make that last all winter everything we grew there then in the fall time we'd have to you know go hunting and bring in some meat off the property which was a deer or a squirrel or a rabbit or something and We'd put that up and, you know, put it in our freezers and freeze it, and that'd keep, you know, we also raised cattle and chickens and and pigs and all that stuff, you know. But as kids, we would always go up in uh, the fall and hunt squirrels, and it was kind of like also a little competition thing, you know, whoever- Who, who come, can get the most. <laughs> who come off the hill with the most squirrels, and you'd always come in at lunch. You'd get out daylight and whoever come in at lunch and- had the most squirrels. Usually, uh, we had a deal where whoever had the most squirrels didn't have to skin the squirrels and put them up. That was, you know, the deal. So, but I was always one usually having to skin everybody's squirrels <laughs> but uh
0: not something you've mastered donnie
2: yeah but the real story is it usually takes two people to skin these squirrels one would have to hold them and the other one had to use a knife and skin them but these guys are always bullshitting with each other and drinking beer about that time so i had to get pissed off waiting on them and i just taught myself to do it by myself with one hand and get as fast as i could and Twenty three seconds, I think I yeah. saw on the, I, your uh, your show on CNBC. Yeah. I actually did one in fourteen seconds, and the camera missed it. So
0: is that the world record? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it might be. Yes, it, it has to
1: be. <laughs> he skin three, three or four to what it takes me to skin ones. Nah, it was
2: kind of it was. Kinda, it was uh, that's how we fed our family, and it was kind of just get the work done as fast as you could, and get it get it put away and put it in the freezer. And our aunt makes these squirrel wings, like chicken wings, out of them. We kind of invented that, you know. We put hot sauce on them and dip them in ranch or blue cheese or something. So it's a it's a pretty unique thing. I, I think it freaks a little some people out,
1: but it's that's all and like, good. It's like his Australian trademark everywhere we go. Hey man, there's that guy that can skin the squirrel real fast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know, you know. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the other members of your band. Did you meet Aaron
2: at a supermarket? <laughs> yeah. Aaron is like a little brother to us, you know. He's a he's just a special guy. We we've known his family since our earliest memories and he was a little younger than us, so he always was hanging around and at our foot of our stages. I remember seeing him looking down off these stages when I was, you know, younger myself and he was just a kid. He'd be down there and he always had these you know, looks in his eyes and he was that kid that always had a mullet and he wore his NASCAR shirts, little redneck kid what we call where we're from, you know, he was just uh he could tell you every NASCAR driver's name and the number on her car and he'd wear like a Joe Diffie shirt one day and an Allaja Jackson shirt the other day and uh uh he would he would just he was just this very neat little kid and he was Always paying attention to everything we did, and he just looked up to us. And at uh, how we kind of waited. Our cousin Sammy was in the same class as him, and Sammy graduated. They were supposed to graduate the same year, but uh, Sammy graduated, and they Aaron had to come back and repeat some of his classes the next year. That's why we call him Riri. Re. but uh, <laughs> but anyway we call him Riri for repeat. But as soon as he got out of high school, I called him and I just called him out of the blue. I said, Hey man, we need a drummer right now. And he stuttered a little bit and he said, well, I'm playing video games right now. And uh, can I get back to you? (laughs) And I said, no, you can't get back to me. I said, I need an answer right now. And he said, well, I'll try it out and uh, see how it goes. And He's been with us ever since. He there. he was
1: always a, a huge fan of the Davison brothers, but well, I'd moved away for college for a few years, and when I moved back to the, our hometown, I was living in a little house by our local grocery store, like you said. And uh, He was always the kid, and he worked the register there at the grocery store when I'd go get my groceries, and he always asked me questions about the band. Hey, where are you guys going? Where are you playing this weekend? But... I'd see him at the grocery store, and then on the weekends, he'd be right in the front row, man. He knew our music word for word, beat for beat. No, I mean, he knew it all. So when we decided, when he finally got old enough to, to join the band, he, he already had all that. I mean, it was so easy. Like the first night we called him, I think it was a Thursday night, he stepped in, and he's been with us ever since. I mean, yeah, he
2: he was always amazing to me because he had this Jimi Hendrix, like Mitch Mitchell kind of thing as when he was just a teenager, and— I'd watch watch him from the side, and I was kind of scouting him out way before he knew it. But he just had this cool ass rock, Jimi Hendrix feel to him with his snare, and just play real he d- hard. He didn't overplay his toms, you know. It was more of a pyre kind of thing that he did, and solid.
1: He just real solid. Less is
2: more, pop. and you know he he's he just had that rock thing that we was kind of looking to bring into the, what we do and kind of make our sound a little more rock. So let's talk
0: about. You know, one of the big moments in your life—that day when George Strait's manager gives you a call and tells you he wants to be your manager. What
1: were you doing at the time? Were you feeding the wow. chickens? You, you know?
2: I, that's a crazy story. You know, we'd been through ups and downs. Like you, you, you know, where where we come from, Nashville's just—you know—it's it's it's you know—an eight-hour drive for for us to get there, nine hours some on some days, but we just kept going back and forth to that town our whole you know since i think we started going we was just young like 12 14 donnie was 12 and we'd record in these little studios and make these little generic demos and you know you kind of thought you know this is awesome you know coming from nowhere in west virginia with no money and no vehicle to get there and we'd bum rides with our aunts on vacations and stuff and Go down and just watch this whole big industry from the outside. and Then we'd have to go home, you know, and it kind of it kind of hindered us. And it, you you know, you kind of have to live there. And there's so many gatekeepers that keep you out of Nashville. And you know, you you pretty much have to be part of that commu- community. And it was, back in those days, it was a little harder, you know. But we had fought for everything, you know. We there's nobody ever handed us anything, made anything easy. Everything come hard. We had to just keep going down and just hundreds of trips just you know just taking swings where we could and we'd met a couple people and recorded a couple of things and you know we did our thing and we tore that's you know we're just known for touring our asses off and putting in the work and not expecting a handout from anybody and no magic wand's gonna get you anywhere so we just put our heads down and tried to outwork everybody and it was a kind of an amazing day you know we'd we just been working so hard and, you know, fighting the battle down there, trying to get our music out there and just kind of trying to make a better life for our family back home at the end of the day. And, you know, and you don't expect anybody to kind of notice and pay attention to that. And we just kept doing what we was doing. And I'd put the word out down there to a couple of people. And, and the crazy story is, is there's this place called Losers in Nashville. It's a I've been there. Yeah, I bet you. It's <laughs> next, next to Winners. You remember it? Uh,
0: you go to Winners, then you go to Losers. <laughs> yeah, they're
2: they're right beside each other. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we'd been hanging out in Losers. You know, that's kind of where all the celebrities and all the artists hang out. Nobody bothers them and ask for autographs or nothing. So they, they feel like they can go in there and hide out and be normal and nobody bother them. And I'd run into this guy you know that he just a, you know he looked like a normal dude and he had long hair and big tall guy looked like a rock and roller I guess for lack of a better term but we'd become buddies with this guy and all we knew is his name was Clint and uh I'd hung out with him he had this band and I kept saying yeah come up to West Virginia and tour with us and still didn't put no you know much thought into it and i just told this guy our story and he kind of watched what we was doing a little bit and we was down there one day and you know the i just put the word out it was like yeah we're uh we're kind of looking around for somebody to help manage this band and didn't really think a whole lot of it and all of a sudden uh you know a couple months went by maybe one or two months or something and we was in our little bus that we got a little bus we tore around in and The band was somewhere and I was doing something, driving down the road and we got this phone call and uh, it was Clint, the guy from the bar. And I said, hey, what's up, man? And uh, he said, hey, my dad wants to know if you'll take a phone call. I'm like, yeah, sure, Uh, yeah, whatever. And uh, I said, yeah. So it wasn't like literally two minutes later, Mr. Irv Woolsey calls me and goes, Chris, this Chris Davis, one of the Davis brothers? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, this is Irv Woolsey in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, we'd like to see if you'd be interested in becoming part of our family and letting Irv Wool- Woolsey management represent you and let me manage it with, uh, some of my guys, Alan Mitchell and, I literally about wrecked the vehicle. I was—I sh- I shouldn't be saying this, but I, I answered the phone while I was driving, and uh, I literally about run off the road, and I was like, this for real. So I was like, Donnie, uh, we got to go to Nashville. And- right now.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 But if you
2: don't know who Herb Woolsey is, I mean, if anybody's in the country music business, he's – managed george Strait, the king of country music since day one on a handshake deal if that tells you anything about who herb woolsey is you know he's just a stand-up straight-up guy old school and uh, he's exactly what we needed and just he's he's not just our manager and him and alan mitchell you know they're like family to us you know alan's like a, a brother and Irv's like a, a father to us you know in a way he's he's like a he's more than a manager you know he's he's just he, he really cares and we talk all the time and keep we just have normal conversations and you know he he owns losers and winners so we could <laughs> spend a lot of time there with him and he's you know, instead of going to his office all the time, we'll just meet at his Bar Losers over there and he does... Uh, Free entry.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of business <laughs> done at his
2: little table over there And <laughs> But it, it's an interesting story because we'd always be in there and see him sitting at that table over there and that's like the king of country music, you know, and he was so distant, you know, and you, you knew better to go up and approach him or anything. And for him to approach us guys from nowhere in West Virginia was... A, Amazing uh, day for the Davison brothers. Uh,
0: and I guess, was it that relationship that connected you with uh, Keith Steagle, who, you know, was Alan Jackson, Zach Brown, band producer?
2: Yeah, you know, that kind of all... Come together, like, to finish off what I was saying, we we didn't even know Clint was Irv's son <laughs> to make this whole story complete.
0: So dad, my dad wants to take a phone call yeah. with you. Could have yeah. been oh,
2: well, being, Sure,
0: you know. Yeah. It's a- <laughs> sure, he's a nice guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but now we, we, then we put it all together, you know. Here I was just helping some guy, you know, some random dude, and it, it come full circle back around to us. That's good things happen. To good people doing good stuff but yeah then uh you know we had been speaking with Keith Stegall a little prior to that and it was just an idea you know he'd he'd never he'd he'd we'd been on his radar but yeah immediately after that we had a showcase and Keith come to it and we immediately went right after our showcase and asked Keith if he would be interested in producing this project and Herb Wolsey was there with us and managing us and uh, you know, they they'd done all kinds of stuff together. They've been business partners over the years for many years with through, you know, the George Strait thing and the Allen Jackson stuff and they're also buddies, you know, they're they're not just business partners, but it's kinda of the dream team, you know, the Keystega heck I think he's got what, fifty five number one hits or something crazy and it's just it's a pretty wild story, you know. These guys are legendary and they're, they're a big part of country music. And if you've heard anything on country radio, them guys have been a huge part of that and making country music what it is.
0: Absolutely. Now let's, uh, let's talk about yeah, coming to Australia and performing for the Australian crowds. You were put on the spot, I think, one of the very first shows you did, it seems, who rocks the shoeie. Yeah. Now there's differences of opinion about the shoei. You know, some artists will just take to it straight away. Others, usually the female artists, yeah, a little bit more hesitant and uh, understandable. It you know, um, but you took to it like a duck at water. I and mean, is that something? You guys are dumb in America
1: before? No, no, we never. We didn't know what did, what it was. It took three or four songs. Like when we were on the stage at CMC, I could hear that chant, and I was like, "What the hell are they saying?" That, out that's there? been I a good. That's been a common problem. <laughs> I was there. like, "What is? What are they saying? What What are they saying?" And then finally, there was some, uh, couple young guys in the front row, and I seen them do one, I, like, and I got it. I was like, "All right, now I know where the shoe is." And throughout the the next couple of songs, I was kind of preparing myself. I was like, "I got to do one of these, or they're going to start throwing shoes at me, or boots, or beer cans, or something." And uh, I don't know. I we didn't realize it was it was such a a legacy here, and the in the that that's what you do. They, so,
0: they now have uh, people who tell the artist beforehand at some point at the shows, they're gonna start yelling out "shoey,
1: shoey." what that is is you take your shoe off and you pour some beer and you drink it it. (laughs) we jumped right on it it was actually refreshing (laughs) and plus my boots were new I had on new boots I felt sorry for some of the guys in the band they'd had the same boots on for a couple years but mine was pretty good it tasted a little bit like new leather and cold beer actually that was um
2: my first shoey was and that whatever beer somebody handed us it was probably the best beer I've ever tasted. In my it life. was
1: uh Cooper's Light. <laughs> Cooper's I'll Light. never forget it. That was a it was that delicious. Forex.
0: No. Forex is a, is is a very popular beer in Queensland, but not really anywhere else.
1: The fans were just intense. Like we didn't know what to expect at all. Like when we got off the the plane and got out there and got settled at the festival and Soon as we started meeting people, they were singing po' boys and dancing and doing our dance, and they took us through the campground. And you were with us I on was, all that. that was quite it was just the like experience. Was I was like, amazing. "Wow, man!" And what a good party! I mean, everybody just having fun, and we love the fans here. Yeah, now Chris, tell us about you know the way you play the guitar. So
0: you you walk on the stage and you have this acoustic <laughs> guitar, but it. It doesn't sound like that. You you sound like the edge when you're playing up there. You it's know, acoustic guitar, but what what actually comes out is is uh, quite something. How does that happen? Is that, is that a secret? Is that, you know? it it
2: kind of is. Yeah, it's it and it it does. It shocks a lot of people. You know, I've I've kind of got used to it after so many shows. You know, but. People don't expect it. That's for sure. It's just a. It's actually a three hundred dollar guitar on its best day, and I wouldn't trade it for a couple million bucks. I've had. I've, it's priceless to me. That guitar. It, it's got its own thing, and I credit it to that. But there's a big old story behind that guitar. If you want to hear it, <laughs> so, absolutely. But uh, we had, you know coming up as kids once again we was poor kids like the song poor boys you know we that shit's true you know we, we didn't have any money we didn't have you know what we had we, we had and we held on to it and we'd uh we'd got through high school there and Donnie was still in high school and I'd went away to college I was 17 years old I think and prior to that I'd been playing this Stratocaster and I'd had a thing for Willie Nelson so early on I'd bought this old pawn shop this old guy down the road had this old little hole in the wall store I mean it was like a shack you just barely could walk in it and he had all these guitars for sale in there and they was always used guitars and this one looked like Willie Nelson's guitar and I thought that was cool when I was a kid so I'd bought that thing and kind of learned a lot on that acoustic guitar somehow that guitar got broke or something and we kids. We we pretty rough kids. We might have hit <laughs> hit each other with one of them. I or think
1: something. I I think I broke a, a <laughs> wrestling match.
2: Yeah, but uh, that guitar it ended up going away. And our aunt had took us to Nashville on a little trip, and she'd let us go into a music store down there and bought us a, a couple guitars and some cowboy boots and cowboy hats. and We thought we was the coolest damn thing in the world there but i'd brought this guitar back and our dad you know our dad he was he was kind of a rocker his name's eddie davison he he just plays this this les paul guitar turned up but he sings country he sings you know he's got a country voice he's got a rock voice at times he's all over the place he can he can sing anything he's got a lot of blues and soul in him and but he can also go do these country songs and so i was kind of torn and i had this uh Strat in my hands, and I, I just started kind of copying what my dad was doing. And somebody had loaned me a Les Paul for a while, and I learned all that. And this Strat was in my hands, and I had these two amps, and I kind of like was into that. And then, and then I went away to college, and I had that Strat. And I was, Donnie was still in high school, and we was making eleven doing a two-piece thing, or we'd go out with my dad or my uncle and do this little side project band thing. But we still had this two-piece thing. And uh, well, I was kind of just looking for more and more all the time. It's like, man, we're doing this two-piece thing, and we kind of need to acoustify this thing a little bit and keep it for real. Because Donnie always played an acoustic guitar, but so Donnie had had uh, this. Nasty looking <laughs> pink guitar. I mean, it was a fluorescent pink Ibanez electric guitar. It had a
1: whammy bar on it, and it was like bright eighties pink. Like you had to wear sunglasses it was in the bar a, to to look at this guitar. I think I, dad bought sounds it, hideous. Dad bought it at a <laughs> dad bought it at a yard sale for fifteen dollars.
2: But anyway, so I'd I'd got into college my first year. I was seventeen, moved out of the house, very young, and. This kid, I was around in my college apartment. He'd stopped over, and he had this guitar, this acoustic guitar. And he said, man, he said, you got anything to trade or sell or buy this thing off of me with? And I was like, I don't know. Let me look at that thing. And I grabbed it. It had his initials carved in it.
1: <laughs> and his girlfriend. And his
2: girlfriend with a heart in the middle of it. I was like, man, are you kidding me? I was like, well, I thought about it, so... Here I looked over and there was this old pink guitar laying in my college apartment that belonged to Donnie. So I asked the guy, I said, "You interested in trading even?" And uh, so he said, "Yeah, we'll we'll make an even trade." But long story short, I ended up taking this guitar and putting a pickup in one of my old friends. He's a doctor back home. His name's Doctor Rhodes. He'd loaned me this old vintage pickup. It's called a Bill Lawrence. It's like one of the first pickups and So I thought, man, you know what? If I can take this pickup and put in this acoustic guitar and kind of get the best of both worlds and put a distortion pedal on it and make to where I can have an acoustic guitar doing this two-piece thing, then when I need to play a lead, I can hit this pedal and become an electric guitar. And after blowing up about 20 amplifiers and all this makeshift gear I was trying to fool with, I'd blew up everything i had i finally got it down to a science to where i can make this acoustic guitar sound electric and since then it's just been a you know uh, uh, an everyday struggle to make it better and better and i've spent lots of time and uh, money and effort into making this thing sound as big and bad as i can and Yes, when I come out on stage now, I think I've got uh, four amps behind me (laughs) on the bigger stages, and they're like big stacks and uh, manage amps. and Yeah, it's more of a volume thing. I just turn it up pretty much as loud as the speakers will handle it, and I control all of it with my body and holding onto that wood. If you let your hands off his guitar, it'll literally blow up everything on the stage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Including my (laughs) eardrums. So
0: you've been here twice now. What do you love most about Australia?
1: What I love most about Australia is the people, the the folks, man. You guys, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's like a breath of fresh air. Everybody's just so positive and so happy. And like I said earlier, they just, they're all about the music. I mean, it is, it's just, I don't know. I can't really describe the, the feeling, like, being on that stage and singing or just not even while we're singing, just getting to meet everyone and everything. I don't know. I just love the way that Australian folks look at life. I think it's, you know, it
0: is a case that, you know, up until five, 10 years ago, it was highly unusual for US acts to come here. I mean, you'd have, if an act crossover, like Dixie yeah. Chicks or Shania or, you know, someone like that, you know, those acts would come over, but, uh, it wasn't probably till what 20 Brooks and Dunn came out here yeah. and that was a such a successful tour that Tim McGraw
1: followed, and then Alan Jackson. That I mean, they're just so appreciative. Like they 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 love you coming here, and they they make you feel that. Well, now but, everyone's coming at the start yeah, of their careers. Yeah, everyone. You know, it's really different now. They're not waiting
0: twenty years and they're all, coming.
1: All of our friends in Nashville yeah. are like, take us to Australia with mm-hmm. it. I mean, that's all we talk about. Everyone loves it.
2: Yeah, we. Uh, I, I had to agree with him. as the people, and like when we met you, you was like the first person we met here, and, like, you know, besides a couple people in the airport, but since our first step out of that airplane, it's been, we have just had great experiences just talking to everybody, and you guys are similar to us in a lot of ways where we come from, you know, in our part of the United States, it's, you know everybody's just you know they they look out for each other and they care and you know some of some of these people we we met out in the bush and stuff that you know it, it just reminds me of being exactly at home and i don't know it, it's hard to explain to people we try to explain it all the time back in nashville and back in west virginia to people like it's something words can't really explain it's a feeling you get over here what don't you like about there must be something that
0: is a bit of a strong Vegemite or <laughs> the, something. They, I was
1: just going to say that because we just had some veggie Vegemite earlier, but I, everything but the Vegemite is delicious. Your food's great, but, yeah, the veggie Vegemite, I just can't acquire a taste for it.
2: The only thing I do not like is having to fly everywhere. I want to drive this whole – everything we tour over here, I'm begging, put us in a van, put us in a vehicle, let us see this country. You know? Yeah, we want to go see everything. We, 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 we want to go see all this stuff instead of flying over it, so –
0: yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's a little different here, where the it's, major it's cities hard, it's are. It's hard to get a know, nine hours apart, uh, and 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 the uh, you know the freeways aren't as wide either. So the the, the tour buses are actually you know, skinnier. Skinnier, yeah. You know, uh, we have them, but uh, not a lot of them. But we do have some, but uh, they're not as luxurious as the uh, the lovely ones uh, I've seen in the U.S. We love
1: your winter time here. I know that. This uh Oh you've
0: come on a you've come on a lucky week. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always this nice in winter. Uh but it's yeah, it's not too bad. Uh Donnie, is it your son Nick? He's yeah. he's he's a musician as well. Yes,
1: yes. I'm very proud of Nicholas. He's a he's a great kid. Um he's he just in the last couple of years he started writing his own music and he's a phenomenal musician. Uh he can play anything, stringed instrument, but he can sing anything, and uh, he's actually, he, him and our nephews, our younger sister Danielle, her two boys, her oldest son Jared, he's the same age as Nicholas, then her younger son Landon, I think Landon's 17 now, they just started their own little project together, and they got to... They got to the debut on the Grand Ole Opry radio show, WSM, last week and um, do a few shows around Nashville, and they're just now starting to get in the studio and starting to record some tracks and all that, but they're great kids, too. They're all straight-A students in school, and Nicholas, was he was playing college football, and he's, he's a small guy. He's only 150 pounds, and um, he had some injuries and all that in the football, which I'm glad to get off that football field, but... He's really focused on the music now, and he's getting ready to graduate school, and uh, he's serious about it.
0: So, so who'll be here next? Yeah, hopefully. yeah, he's
1: uh, ready. He's more <laughs> he, than ready. Huh? He, He's—they're phenomenal. Uh, they're, they got a really good thing going. They're very talented young men, and uh, we're just
0: proud of them. Fantastic. Well, guys, it's uh, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the very first. Yeah, costs. that's, a, so you, that's you, an
1: honor. Thank you for letting us. You're do
0: setting this. the standard,
1: you <laughs> know.
2: Thank you for your support and belief. If it was not for you personally and a of couple other fellas, like this would not even exist. And uh, we're just honored and thank you for believing in us and taking a chance on us and just being out there fighting for us in that first single. And uh, we just appreciate it more than you can ever know. And our family appreciates it. Well, look, we love you guys, and I think uh, – I know you, you never had
0: the opportunity to meet Rob Potts, but uh, yep. I think uh, of all, all the wonderful things he did, his last great deed was introducing you guys to this market. Uh, when, uh, you know, when, when you were booked for CMC, I think it was uh, two – I made a week – Before the uh, festival was announced, there was a little teaser that was put out on social media, and and Po Boys hadn't been released yet. Rob had this idea. He said, "I I just, you know, can we get permission to to put Po Boys on the, uh, you know, on this little teaser?" And uh, I I don't want anyone to know who it is or what it is, but I reckon everyone's going to ask, "Who is this band? (laughs) What is this song?" And of course. He was absolutely right. Yeah. As uh, soon as, as soon as, uh, as, soon as uh, you know, it would have been thirty seconds of the song. I think uh, was in that video. Uh, everyone was asking, you know, what is this song? And uh, and from there, Poe Boys obviously has become such a big song in Australia. You guys have been here twice now. I I, I imagine you you're going to be back regularly. Um, you know the the uh, the response to your shows, you know has been amazing in festival appearances and uh and uh so thank you guys for for making the time to come in
2: uh thank
1: you once again
2: yes thank you that that the rob potts uh, whole thing is just that that felt like that was meant to be and i will forever the rest of my life you won't convince me any other way that was a meant to be thing and uh i don't have an answer for that but thankful that it happened Absolutely.
0: Well, thanks, guys. Special thanks to uh, the Forbes Street Studios in Sydney and specifically Nick uh, for recording this first episode for us today. For the latest country music news and entertainment from Australia and the world, check out tonecountry.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I'm Tim Holland. I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of the Tone Country Cast.